This is the Place for a Purpose podcast. We want to help you live out what Jesus said was the most important thing you could do with your life. Love God and love your neighbor, including your next door neighbors. So we're going to keep neighboring on your mind by encouraging you with practical ways to connect with those next door so you can live knowing you've been placed for a purpose because your address is not an accident and neither is your neighbor's. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Place for a Purpose podcast. We're your hosts, Elizabeth and Chris McKinney. And today we're going to dive in with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because as we think about neighboring, it's a Jesus classic story about how to love your neighbor. That's right. And I mean, let's just be honest. If we didn't talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan, are we even a neighboring podcast? Like no. zero street cred if we don't talk about the Good Samaritan. So here we True. are. We're going to do it. So there's always that person who... When I get in a conversation with someone about we're writing or speaking about neighboring, they're like, wait, so are you saying that when Jesus says to love your neighbor, he's only meaning our next door neighbors? Are you saying that he's literally meaning our next door neighbors? No. No. <laughs> no, no. We are I, not saying that. It can always mean more right, than your next door neighbor, but it can never mean less. True. Truth. So here's a question. In church, what do you think most people are thinking in their minds when the pastor gives a message and he says, love your neighbor? Who's coming to their minds when they hear the word neighbor? Yeah, I think people are thinking of people in their lives who they already know, who they already like. Yeah, right. People at work, school, Friends and family. Friends and family. Probably not thinking about their next door neighbor. Yeah. Well, it's hard to love your next door neighbor. Yeah. And we don't know them. And so how are their faces supposed to pop into our minds if we don't even know their faces? Yeah. So as we think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, before we jump in, I remember I was driving when we were kind of originally thinking about this parable and how it applied to neighboring and how it can help us love our next door neighbor. I actually heard kind of a modern day version of this story that was really powerful. Some of us will remember the attack that took place at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. And Scott Peterson, who was the school security officer at that high school on that day, was a person who came to the forefront in that story. And he had been working there for years and years. And so on the day of the attack, Peterson was in his office, and the report came that something was happening, and it took him three minutes to make it to the location, and in three minutes— Which is not a long time. Which is not a long time, and in three minutes, the attack would be over. So this happened pretty fast. And if you followed the story after the attack, you know that Peterson was unable to stop the attack. And a few weeks later, a video was released that showed Peterson standing outside the building— where the shooting was taking place. And whether it was because of the confusion surrounding the moment or because of fear, the video showed him standing at the door, but not going in. And after that video came out, Peter was called a disgrace, an awful human being by his former boss. He was shunned by his coworkers, and even the president on national TV called him a coward. And so in the weeks and months that followed, his house was just surrounded by TV trucks and reporters and mixed into that group were angry community members. He actually had security officers who had to be there to try to protect Peterson from people who wanted to do him harm that were really angry at him. 
And in this article written for the Washington Post, this journalist was given access inside Peterson's home. And I want to read just a little excerpt from that story. So Eli Saslow, the journalist, writes this. He says, Scott Peterson had spent much of the past three months in hiding, but now somebody was walking onto his porch and towards the front door. A motion detector activated alarm inside his duplex. Peterson, who's 55 at that time, ducked away from the windows and bent out of sight. His girlfriend, Lydia, walked to the entryway and began to pull down a corner of the white sheet that now covered most of the front door. Oh, please, she said. What now? Tell him I'm not here, Peterson said to Rodriguez as she looked out beyond the sheet and sunlight streamed into their living room. It's okay, she said, waving at two octogenarians holding a bag of cookies on the porch. It's the neighbors, Jim and Kelly. Now, I remember hearing that story, and I don't know— Well, can we just have a moment for the word octogenarians? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, octogenarians yeah, is not a were, word that I use. They were 80, for... 80, right. in their 80s. Okay, okay, just clarifying on, on the yeah, octogenarian yeah. <laughs> neighbors. Yeah, so this story hit me because, I don't know about you, but it's the neighbors was not what I was expecting to hear yeah. Lydia, Scott Peterson's girlfriend— say. And I think this story is surprising and really powerful because when everyone else was attacking Scott and leaving him alone and and avoiding him, not coming to his aid, here you have Jim and Kelly, his neighbors, pushing through all of that to check on him and to help him. And so when Jesus says we need to love our neighbor in this story, we'll see a big question that comes to the forefront. Well, who is my neighbor? Who am I required to love as myself? Who does God expect me to love? Does he expect me to love a neighbor like Scott Peterson or a neighbor like fill in the blank? Maybe the neighbor is coming to your mind right now. And that's a key question that is addressed in the parable of the Good Samaritan and a question that we need to kind of wrestle with as we think about what it means to love our next door neighbors. Well, it reminds me of what we talked about last episode, too, in terms of the cultural story of leaving our neighbors alone. They didn't leave him alone. Like you said, they moved toward him. That living in God's bigger story affected the way they showed up. Yeah. Okay, so set us up. We've all heard it, the parable of the Good Samaritan, (laughs) right? But set the scene and take us there. Yeah, so it's in Luke 10, verses 29 through 37. And what you have is this expert in the Old Testament coming to Jesus with a question. And he comes to him and asks, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? How can I have favor from God, both now and in the afterlife? And so Jesus says, well, you're the expert in the Old Testament. What does the Bible have to say? Jesus masterfully changing it. That's like... Let's like, let me answer you that by asking you this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is the master teacher here. Except he's not a sleazy politician kind of rephrasing it it there. Yeah, exactly. And so the expert in the Old Testament says, well, he kind of summarizes it. And maybe he's heard, because Jesus summarized the Old Testament in this way too. So maybe he's heard Jesus do this, or maybe this was just on his own. But he said, well, love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, that's right go do this and you will have eternal life, which is clearly easier said than done. And the expert in the Old Testament, he gets that. He's feeling that in that moment. He's like, oh my gosh, surely that's not what Jesus is saying here. And so we pick it up here in verse 29, 
where it says, but he being the expert there, desiring to justify himself. So he wants Jesus to kind of say he's doing okay, right? He asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? So like we said, this is a big question that comes to the surface in the parable of the Good Samaritan and in our lives as well. Who am I required to love as myself? And just the very question, who is my neighbor, kind of implies there's someone who's not my neighbor, right? Exactly. Yes, that implies that we're drawing lines. We're drawing lines that says, okay, people who fall inside these neighborly lines, these are the people I'm going to love as my neighbor. And then the people who fall outside are the non-neighbors, right? And so the neighbors maybe that come to mind are those who take care of their yard, right? Are friendly, they return or wave a smile. They're easy to have a conversation with in some way. Those people are like, okay, yeah, my neighbors, I will love my neighbors. But on the other side of that, outside of those lines are our Mm non-neighbors, the ones that are hard to talk to, don't keep up their property, don't smile back, or the ones whom we don't seem to have anything in common with at all. And that's not always a conscious thing. Right. Like it can be subconsciously we have non-neighbors. We're not like setting out as believers to have non-neighbors, but it's that same question. When Jesus says, love your neighbor, it's like, well, who exactly are you talking about? Like there's people who, for whatever reason, they've kind of gotten on my bad side. Right. Yeah. We're judging them. We're suspicious of them. And, you know, maybe it's not someone like Scott Peterson, but it's the Scott Petersons of the neighborhood. So the expert in, in the Old Testament, he's asking this question so he can justify himself, so he can feel good about where his neighborly lines have fallen. And I think it's the same for us at times too, right? When we're confronted with this imperative by Jesus to love our neighbors as ourselves, the names and the faces of the people we already like and are easy to love tend to come to mind. And then we think, yeah, I'm doing okay, right? But what we have to wonder is, is this what Jesus meant when he said we are to love our neighbors? And so in response to this question from the expert in the Bible there, he says, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells a story. So what does Jesus say exactly? Yeah. So this is the parable of the Good Samaritan. So we'll jump in here and read a couple verses. Verse 30 here. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. So pausing here for a second, the first two people to come upon this man who is in desperate need of help, right, pass by. And these aren't just any passer buyers, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? These are the religious people. Yeah, like the top, like the priests were at the top and the Levites were right there. They were the religious elite of the Jewish society, experts in the Old Testament. And they would have been familiar with the command in this kind of summary of the Old Testament to love your neighbor as yourself. And yet... They had a non-neighbor. Here's this that guy, question. This guy's the non-neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Yeah. Right? Is the man in the ditch who needs my help my neighbor? Apparently not. Yeah, they pass by on the other side. 
And so the expert in the Old Testament who had asked Jesus this question, you know, he's sitting there listening to Jesus tell this story. He would have identified with the priest and the Levite as this religious elite. And so you have to wonder in that moment if he's beginning to feel a little uncomfortable. He's like, are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah. He's not being cast in the best light. There's a quote unquote religious guy (laughs) who (laughs) passerbyers. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Jesus is being kind of clear through this story. Pointed. Yes. Okay, so let's continue on. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So you have to think, waking up the next day in this like Super 8 (laughs) motel. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine him. Where am I? What just happened? Sure. How disorienting that would be. I'm picturing him going to the innkeeper and being like, okay, who is my mercy man? Who's the person who's put all these bandages on me like? paid for me to stay here and come to find out there's a whole line of credit to his account. If there's any other costs, those are going to be charged. Those Mm -hmm. are going to be covered. And the mercy man is kind of his enemy. It's like someone with whom he shares a deep-seated historical kind of hatred. Yeah. 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 The Samaritans were racially and religiously mixed Jews. And that was the one who helped him. Yeah, that's the one who stopped. And even probably, probably if he'd had the chance, he would have tried to refuse that kind of help. Oh, yeah. I mean, for Jesus to cast the Samaritan as the one who stopped and was a neighbor to the man in need would have been totally shocking to the crowd that day. And so I think most people listening to Jesus tell that story would have first at least expected the religious people to stop. And then for Jesus to maybe say, well, along came a common, a normal Jew, and he was the one who stopped and helped. But no, it was this Samaritan considered an outcast, utterly despised, considered a non-neighbor by everyone listening there. He's the one that stopped. So Jesus finishes the story then. He responds to this expert. We'll pick it up in verse 36. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So this is just so cool what Jesus is doing here with this story. He's turning things upside down, right? He's making the point that it's not about trying to figure out who is my neighbor, right? Who's in And who is out? Where can I draw my neighborly lines and still feel good about myself? But instead, the focus is on how we can prove to be a neighbor to those around us or become a neighbor to those that God has placed around us. Well, he flips the script. So instead of the focus being on the object, like who is my neighbor, the object in the sentence, he flips it so that the neighbor is the subject. Yeah, yeah. And the priest and the Levite, right, they both had an opportunity to prove to be a neighbor to the man in the ditch, but they decided to leave their neighbor alone and pass by on the other side. And it was the Samaritan 
who became a neighbor to the man in need. And the focus here, as we hear this command from Jesus to love our neighbor, is not to try to figure out where we can draw our neighborly lines and figure out who is my neighbor, who who isn't isn't my neighbor. Is it okay if I don't love them, but love these neighbors right here that are next to me? But instead, the focus is on us, right? How can we become a neighbor? How can we see God turn us into people who love the people who are right next door? I like us. that picture of becoming, becoming a neighbor. It's there's a process there of yeah. God at work in our hearts to make us into a neighbor. So how can we become a neighbor to those around us and live lives shaped by Jesus's command? Because we do. We want to follow Jesus. We want to love our neighbors. I think again, we're gonna say this over and over, but it means starting small, mm-hmm. right? Like introducing yourself overcoming the awkwardness of making eye contact, putting our phones away, Yeah, which is hard to do. It's hard to do. I think we need to ask God to shape us into people who value those small things and have the faith and the courage a little bit mm-hmm. to step out and do those things. I think it's enduring the awkwardness and the risk, a little risk and the vulnerability that comes from asking for someone's name. And we felt that when we first started. It was like, okay, who made us the mayors of Wyndham Ridge? <laughs> yeah. No one. Okay, shoot. Oh, man. It did feel vulnerable because yeah. no one asked us to start. And yet we kind of thought, well, maybe everybody else is just waiting for someone else to take the initiative. And turns out, That was the truth. They didn't know that probably consciously. They weren't like, I wish someone would invite us to a fish fry. I wish someone would plan a block party or street party, or I wish I'd get invited over for dinner. Because again, they didn't know what they're missing and we didn't. But yet subconsciously there is that it's wired into us. We want that. We want that connection. Yeah. And what's cool is we, I mean, again, barely took the smallest of steps. Right. And what we saw was our neighbors jump right in. Not yeah. everybody, but definitely a lot. a lot. And then it quickly was about us, yes. our neighborhood and our neighbors doing things together. But there was still that someone needed to take that first little step. And we take those steps to become a neighbor towards our neighbors, not with ulterior motives. Like a but, bait and switch. Right, with a bait and switch, but with ultimate motives, ultimately desiring for those around us to come to know Jesus. And yet we're going to value every single step along the way and value them as people in that relationship and friendship with them as we move along and grow that relationship. So I think in order to do this, right, Jesus says, go and do likewise. So that's a pretty big, (laughs) like, yeah, go and show mercy. I know for myself, I need and continue to need a deep heart change. I need a deeper enabling. I cannot pull myself up by my bootstraps. I cannot guilt and shame myself into loving my next door neighbor. Having the neighboring manual doesn't a good neighbor make. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe for like a day. (laughs) Well, or an hour, five minutes. Maybe not even that. What we need is we need the gospel. We need the gospel to change our hearts on a daily basis. I think if left to our own efforts, our own willpower, I think we'll just go back to the beginning and we'll be like, well, yeah, but who is my neighbor? We'll end up at that question. We don't want to stay there. Like you said, we think we need the neighboring manual, the example, the how-to, 
so that we can go and do likewise. And in that, we become the hero of our neighboring story. But it's we're not meant to be the hero. Yeah, if even in our own eyes. Right, right. Jesus is the hero. He's the hero of the neighborhood, <laughs> so to speak, right? Jesus is the one who offered himself to those left in the ditch, wounded and broken by sin. Us, we were in the ditch mm -hmm. at one point. We needed Jesus to become a neighbor to us. He is the one who stopped and became a neighbor. He is the didn't one. Didn't leave us alone. He didn't pass by on the other side. He is the one who lifted us up and bandaged our wounds. And he brought healing to our souls. And so if we reduce the parable of the Good Samaritans to merely an example story, which growing up, I think I thought of it more of that way, just hearing the go and do likewise without experiencing that heart transformation. If we just hear it as this is the good example of how we're supposed to love our neighbors, then we really remove the heartbeat yeah. of the story itself and what it means. And so, yes, we want to follow the example of the Good Samaritan of stopping and becoming a neighbor, especially to those who might be very unlike us. But the power to do that isn't found in the command. It's found in Jesus. Yeah, the power to change isn't found in me telling you, go love your neighbor, go do that. But instead, it's found in this reality that Jesus became a neighbor to you and that because of that, you can go and become a neighbor to those who are right around you. So let me recap. This week, when we hear the word neighbor, we're going to include our next door neighbors. Yep. That's where we're going to start. And let's be aware if there are any neighbors that we're excluding. Are there ones that we're kind of walking to the other side of the cul-de-sac? So let's stop if even just in our minds, in our, in our prayers, we can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. We love our neighbors because he first loved us and we can become a neighbor to others because Jesus became a neighbor to us. Thanks for tuning in. Leave us a comment with your thoughts on today's episode or let us know other topics related to neighboring you wanna talk about or follow the link in the show notes to share a neighboring story with us Tell us what you're trusting God for in your neighborhood and how you're seeing God at work. You can also follow Place for a Purpose on Instagram, and you can help others find us by leaving a review, subscribing, and sharing this episode with a friend. Mm -hmm.